Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. In this episode of Can't Find My Way Home, I was joined by Jeff Sinclair. Jeff from Winnipeg, Canada spent the best part of a decade in Seoul, South Korea, before returning back to Winnipeg at the end of 2017. As well as getting into Jeff's expat journey, we also touch on how he got into improv and the stand-up comedy scene. Working as a founding member of the Stand-Up Seoul organization, taking comedy shows on the road in South Korea with special mentions for expat outposts such as Pohang and Gumi, all this and the best gravy he's ever had. What's not to like? What are some of the differences between audiences in Canada and South Korea? Does material work in both of these places? Who's the best hecklers? Jeff tells us more. What does the expat experience mean to Jeff and why you should give it a try yourself if you're so inclined? Pub quizzes, soju stories and working on the same bill as, and I quote, an R&B sensation from the 1980s. All this and just what is buffalaxing? Hmm. Without further ado, Jeff Sinclair. What about your expat journey, Jeff? How did it all start for you? Well, I was was living in Winnipeg, and I just kind of needed something new and needed a new adventure and one of my friends was already living in south korea this guy that i went to university with and so i contacted him and just you know what's the deal out there and he kind of explained oh they'll pay your plane ticket you can uh, your apartment's free uh you can you can drink anywhere <laughs> like canada you, you know you've, there's no public drinking you can't drink on the street or anything yeah um so i was like oh great sounds like vegas and, uh, <laughs> you've sold it to me yeah. And so I, like a month later, I was on a plane and uh, I, I flew out there and I was, I, you know, I had a completely different vision because I grew up watching MASH and uh, <laughs> this was not, the, I it was much more modern than I thought it was going to be. Like right. I got off the plane and like, oh my God, they have McDonald's, KFC. It's, uh, yeah, I went there and uh, had a, a great first year and a half. Like I, I just couldn't have asked for a better group of people to be working with and living in the same apartment building with. And I became fast friends with uh, a couple people that uh, I still, I mean, I still talk to them all the time now. Did the year and a half and was like, okay, adventure finished, time to go home. And went home and, uh, you know, just worked and started thinking, wow, this is, you know, I had a lot more fun in Korea and uh, it was just easier going lifestyle and there's always something to do. And, uh, you know, I'm from a smaller city, Winnipeg, so... The transportation system's not that great. Everything shuts down at midnight. The taxis are expensive. Basically need to own a car. And so I, I thought, screw it. I'm going to go back to uh, Korea. And uh, then I spent another eight years there. And th- during that time, like I say, got involved with Stand Up Soul. Met one of my best friends, Rudy, who I ended up running Stand Up Soul with, uh, along with a, a few other people. Really got involved with a lot of the uh, the art scene. Like, you know, the Soul Players, I used to uh, host some of their events and go to their shows. And yeah, that's kind of just how I got got all back into it. V- uh, very inviting community, I found. 
like I, you know, if I was to go to another Canadian city and say, try to get into their comedy scene or to get into their art scene, I think it would be kind of like back, you know, back of the line kind of thing. You've got to put in your dues and wait your turn. But yeah, but Korea, everybody was super inviting. Everybody was like, yeah, please come, come and like do stuff. And uh, uh, everybody, yeah, everybody was great. Nobody was judging. Uh, I don't think anybody had any real ambition towards what they're doing. They just did it out of love. And uh, so, yeah, I couldn't have asked for, uh, you know, a better community to get involved with. And that's pretty much one of the main reasons I stayed so long was that there was just so many great people keeping me there. Your relationship with stand-up, you, you've been doing it for a while before you moved to South Korea. I, I did stand-up just a little bit. Like, I, I did it originally when I was 18 for a little while and then kind of shelved it. And then occasionally I would try to do it. But I was actually mostly doing... Um, improv with uh at the time in winnipeg uh there was a huge improv scene and canada even had a, a quite a large improv uh scene going on so i used to uh kind of travel around and do festivals and do weekly shows here in winnipeg with improv and i was never the greatest improviser but i, I was surrounded by uh, a group of really talented improvisers so i just i love doing it here but i also did some other stuff like i had a a sh my own one-man show that I used to do called Letters at Large, where uh, I'd write letters to businesses uh, with like funny made-up stories, and they would reply to me because they believe me. And so I'd kind of I'd read the letters that I wrote on stage and show the letters and the replies that I got. And so I did that for quite a while. So that was kind of my experience in the performance scene before going to Korea. And then when I got there. Like I say, the first year and a half that I was there, I didn't really do much because there wasn't much of a scene at all. But when I returned in 2009, um, yeah, that's when I kind of I jumped into the stand-up soul scene and uh, some of the other uh, performing arts groups. What would you say were some of the highlights you had there during your, your second stint? Let's see. Or lowlights. Uh, I mean, you know, take, take whatever end of this. Let's take it on. Yeah, well, I mean, highlights were... By the time we were... I was getting close to leaving. Uh, we had put on a lot of really big shows, eventually got a hotel sponsor at the Renaissance Hotel. And so we put on a couple of really big shows in those rooms, um, really locked out and somehow convinced the, the general manager of the hotel to let us do this for free, get the room for free and uh, kind of run the show the way that we wanted to run it. Uh, so it was this really high class, like rooftop level venue that was normally just a whiskey bar for really rich Koreans. <laughs> and it, it looked almost like an airport hainer, but like with all these fancy lights and stuff, it was, it was amazing. And so putting on those shows were great. Like we, uh, we went from bringing just one over one professional comedian over at a time to sometimes we would have two over at the same time. And so the shows kind of got bigger and we would also travel around Korea with uh, these comedians. So we got to go to other cities and play a lot of different venues. So those, those are kind of like the, the best memories. But for me also personally, like discovering new expat bars in different cities was always very exciting. Venues that we could put on comedy shows, but also venues where the bar owner just really got it, like really would endorse the show and treat everybody really wonderfully. For example, in Pohan, which is a seaside town just a little bit north of Busan. It's the Steel we, uh, Town, right? It's the Steel Town, yeah. It's the Steelers. It's the football team. We found this bar called The Tilt there where the owner's just amazing. Uh, he's a, he's, he was born in Korea, but he was raised in Wisconsin and went back to Korea, uh, got married, opened up a bar there. 
and he was uh, just one of the best bar owners you could ever ask for. He'd basically say, you know, go behind the bar and make your own drinks all night. That's fine. Yeah, so finding those kind of bars uh, in, in the strangest places, like in the middle of nowhere, where like a town that would only have 100 foreigners, and then putting on shows that were just like, I, I don't know, almost emotional events. Like they mm. were, yeah, and you, you, you kind of made friends for life with some of these people. Like I still, yeah, message these people now and then. Even uh, like, for instance, there was a place called the Wagu Cook, which was in Gumi. And the owner was the South African dude that made the best homemade gravy I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and he eventually sold it and went back to Africa, but I still talk to him now and then. I've, I've been at Gumi, but it was years ago, years and years ago, and I don't remember the name of the pub. But yeah, for well, they had day. they only had two they only had two foreigner places. One is the Corona Bar, um, and the other was the Wegu Cook. And the Wegu Cook was where most people would go until about one o'clock, and then everybody would go to the Corona Bar at about one o'clock. An appropriate uh, name as well. Yeah, talk about getting ahead of the curve, you know? Yeah. So yeah, so those are the so those are some of the best memories I think. What about the flip side of that then, Jeff? What about some of the you know when you you're pushing everything uphill? What were some of the the tougher times? <laughs> some of the worst memories. Yeah. Uh, most of that had to be most of it. I would say would be work related. Like it was just you know the Korean business culture or Korean work culture definitely kind of clashed with. Uh, the work culture I grew up in and there'd be misunderstandings every now and then, or if you were working for an academy or a hogwan, you know, it was really a business. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a institute really for education. It was purely about the money. And so you'd have to deal with hogwan mothers and whatever the, like this mother who's never taught a day in her life would be telling you how you have to teach. And then you have your boss shaking his head at green, like, yep, yeah, that's what you have to do. And it's really just about making the kid happy so he doesn't yeah. complain to his Is mother. Is this like the nightmare of the, what did they call it, like an open class? Is that what they were called, these things? Where uh, I never had an open class myself, but uh, children would, like, you know, talk to the mothers about what had happened in class or what they were doing. And at times, moms would just disagree. So that, you know, that was some of the bad times. And then others would just be... I, you know, I'm a bigger person. I'm like, I'm six foot seven. And during my stint there, I put on about a hundred pounds. And so you slowly see them at first, they would treat me so good because, oh, you're, oh, you're so handsome. And then as I'd put on weight, you could start hearing them in Korean going like, oh, that guy's so fat. That guy's so big. <laughs> and the worst is they'd call me American all the time. Oh, look at that oh. fat American. And you're like, I'm not, I, okay, I'm fat, but I'm not American, I'm Canadian. You know? Come on, I still get feelings, you know? Yeah, and as the you know the more Korean I picked up, the more I realized that people would talk about you right right in front of you, especially like on the subway and stuff. Um, like you know, your mother would be telling the child, "No, no, stop looking at that big man." Like, and I, like I want to say to them, "I understand what you're saying. Like I'm right here, and <laughs> I speak I speak you know enough Korean to know what you're saying." It's um, taking it to the next level, but really, you don't want to go to that next level. The conversation yeah. anyway. You're just like. Okay, fine, right. That's where that's where we are. So th those were kind of the moments. I don't, I can't really think of too many uh, horror stories. It was actually the Sunday mornings were always the worst. You'd wake up hungover, and you'd just be like, "Oh, where did my Friday Saturday go?" <laughs> You're coming down there. Let's take the what? choice to. Yeah, well, you know, soju is just erased your mind like a VHS tape or something. <laughs> I might do a whole episode on so, soju yeah, one of these days. Yeah, well, 
You should get soju stories because, like, just get a group of people telling their different soju stories. Because there we go. That's that amazing. stuff is such a double-edged sword. It's it's wonderfully cheap, but it's it's so vile. And <laughs> like, you look at the percentage. You know, the percentage is you know between eighteen and twenty percent, and it costs a dollar fifty. But yet, why do I feel so much more drunk? There was a um, there's a Korean uh, restaurant owner here in Winnipeg that I became friends with. So every time I'd come home, I'd go to Costco uh, in Korea and I'd buy those juice box uh, sojus mm. that they look just like juice box. In Canada, at the time, there was no alcohol at, at all in juice boxes. So when I would bring it from uh, back from Korea, the customs agents would always say, what is this? And I'd say, oh, it's coconut juice. Because uh, it looked like there was like a palm palm tree on the on the on the box, <laughs> and then I would just bring it back, and then I would just sell it to the the Korean restaurant owner uh, at a decent price. <laughs> well, there's nothing quite like passing the the cost of the soju on, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you remember? Well, if, yeah. you, do you remember your first? I was going to say, do you remember your first time with the, with the soju or dongdongju or makgeolli or something like that? You know, and it's. Just... I definitely remember the first time of soju. Like my friend Ken, that I had said that I, I moved out there knowing. Uh, my first, I landed. The we took the airport limousine to his apartment, and within five minutes of being in the apartment, he said, "All right, let me introduce you to Soju." And right there, I did a shot, and I was like, "Ugh!" <laughs> and he's like, "Well, get used to it because you'll be drinking a lot of it." <laughs> and sure did. Yeah, it's an acquired taste. Let's put it that way. But Makali, I didn't really like. Makali had such a weird taste. I found. I always felt like I was drinking. Like if you were to juice grass, <laughs> that's kind of what I felt like I was drinking with Makali. Yeah, they, they, you're like, what is this taste or what is this flavor? It's kind of, it's like an anonymous thing that's in there that just lightly yeah. fragrances it. It's kind of, yeah, it's a little, it's kind of like the opposite of soju in that sense. You don't get this nasty. And why, why does it get its own, why does it get its own special drinking bowl? I know. Like, you, you, what you is hat so special about it? Right? Yeah, you know. Now, of course, you're supposed to drink it when it rains. Oh, yeah. With your uh, your John and all that stuff, you know, like the... And it's funny, they'll describe it. They'll say, okay, after your first your first glass um, or your first bowl, uh, you're probably going to have a headache for a little while. And you're like, well, then why am I doing this? Like... <laughs> we'll just let you down gently. Well, uh, number one difference for sure is the uh, having an international audience as opposed to having a strictly or almost majority Canadian audience. Uh, that was one of the really cool things to test material that, you know, you'd have German engineers in the room, uh, people from Australia, people from England. Um, so you, you get to see kind of their reactions and like, does this material fly, you know, in, in countries other than Canada? And uh so those are always great. And the people from the UK and Aussies are not shy to yell out stuff. <laughs> That's what they're <laughs> to. They are not afraid to heckle. And uh, so the Canada, we're, we're more or less reserved. I mean, you occasionally have hecklers, but most people are there to just listen. But uh, I found that Aussies and uh, people from the UK, were, they were there to participate as well. A little more so that, enthusiastic that was, in their criticism. Yeah. And, but to be fair, 
some some pretty good heckles <laughs> like <laughs> like it wasn't just like you suck like if you're you know, doing a show in america you'll get you suck right but doing a show there they would tell you what about you specifically sucks <laughs> like <laughs> that's good to know yeah you're, yeah it's a little bit educational at times. yeah I'll, I'll add it to my bio actually that's a, yeah. that's one way to use it would you say the clubs uh, at home quite a thriving community scene is there any particular reason for this i mean is it is it is just, is just really popular um i mean I'm, I'm sure there's a couple variables uh there's definitely a lot of really hard-working showrunners in winnipeg uh people that you know comedy is their passion and they just really want to put on really great shows and they put a lot into it uh there was also uh for a little while there was a bit of a rebellion against we at the time we only had one comedy club in winnipeg like that was specifically we are a comedy club and there was a bit of a backlash when I was leaving uh, to move to South Korea that was happening. So more of an independent scene kind of started up where people just started organizing their own shows in bars. And as I kind of would return over the years, you could see how it had grown from being every Tuesday to now being every Tuesday and every Thursday. And then suddenly a new bar has an, another show and there's another person running another show and everybody kind of would work together and nobody wanted to step onto each other's toes. They would like, okay, you're going to do shows on Thursdays. Okay. Well then I'll take Wednesdays. And uh, so the community really kind of worked together to build it like the, the different showrunners and it, it also very much kind of like what Korea was. I found that the scene here in Winnipeg has also been pretty inviting. Uh, they, they kind of open the doors to everybody. They give everybody kind of a chance to uh, get up and show what they can do. And there isn't any of the, you know, like some of the bigger cities like Toronto will have kind of cliques or different groups where, well, if you do that guy's show, then you're not going to get to come and do this show because those people don't like those people. And, uh, it's about high school. Yeah, a little bit, but I find a lot of a lot of big city scenes are like that. But Winnipeg, no, it just did it had its own thing, and uh, you know, part of it might have to do also with the fact that we have winter here for six months out of the year, and so we need something to do indoors during winter time. <laughs> There's not a lot to do outdoors except go to the hockey rinks or you know go watch a hockey game. So I think that kind of helped. Um, Kind of like what they said happened in Seattle with the grunge scene that because it rained so much, people stayed indoors and just played and played and played. Uh, I feel that's kind of what happens with Winnipeg, uh, especially in the winter. Everybody just, they go and they do their shows. And I mean, not now, of course, but, but yeah, they, uh, they kind of just needed something to do all winter. And that's, it became, comedy became the big thing. I mean, the uh, current, the current circumstances aside, it's, like before all this COVID stuff, it was generally quite a, th a thriving scene then, yeah? Oh, yeah. There was a show I basically every night every night of the week uh, that I can think of. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And it, it, it was just growing. Like, it was still... It was still growing by the time COVID hit. Like, there was... They were starting to get a little bit... Uh, one venue in particular, uh, The Handsome Daughter, started to put on more regular shows where they brought in comedians from, from out of town. And it was it was getting to a really great stage. And then of course, you know, Corona comes along and boom. Uh, and that's that <laughs> for a while. Like, so we're all basically in hiatus. Like I was running, my big thing was running kind of trivia or pub quiz nights here. And the, it was going really, really well in February. And it, it, I was so excited for April because I had all this stuff booked. And then of course, Corona. And so then everything just shut right down. I, but I still have my, uh, 
good old reliable uh, South Korea trivia going at the Wolf Island. So I can manage that from afar. How, how does that work? How do you prepare it or how do you organize it? Uh, well, I, I put it all in a PowerPoint and uh, there's a total of, there's three rounds, three categories per round, 10 questions per category. So 90 questions in total. And uh, I put it all into a PowerPoint. I make and edit my own videos and audio stuff. And then I just send it to various hosts in Korea. Like luckily, luckily before I left, a couple people volunteered to continue hosting uh, trivia while I was, you know, uh, when I had moved back. Uh, and then people I haven't even met have become hosts in, in Korea. And so I just send it to them every week and then they host it at the Wolfhound every Sunday. So it's, yeah, it, it runs pretty, pretty seamlessly. Your, your own plans for the future then comedy wise, trivia night wise, what are, what are your plans for the uh, future? Well, for the trivia, just to get it, you know, jump started back up whenever the pandemic goes away. And it's, it's, I really enjoy doing it almost more than comedy now because there is no pressure to perform or to be funny. Like when I host, I, I do sometimes, uh, you know, tell some jokes or I tell stories, uh, but it's more just, I put together this really nice presentation and everybody uh, seems to have a lot of fun with it. And it's just a nice little enjoyable stress-free night for me. Uh, for the comedy stuff, uh, I've been kind of shying away a little bit from performing the last year. But uh, now during the pandemic, of course, I've had nothing to do but just sit around and, and write out some new stuff. So I'm excited to go try that out. Yeah, now it just seems like it's just waiting, <laughs> like just waiting for it to go away. Right, we get Christmas to go, then it'll be Easter and then, you know, or our Christmas, New Year. I forgot about that. So Christmas, New Year, then Easter, and then hopefully we can get back outside again. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, for the future, there's... There's not a lot that you can plan because you don't, we just don't know when is this going to end. Like, so you, okay, you know, in the spring, uh, I'm going to go back and go do that tour of Asia. Like, no, no, you're probably not. It's probably not going to be gone by then. Like, so there's no point in putting any huge long-term plan unless it's online or like virtual. Cause that's the only thing that you can really do right now is rely on the internet to, <laughs> to do your stuff. Question, questionable at best, eh? but it's as, it's as good as we've got. Last one then, Jeff. What about the your expat experience? Would you recommend it? As oh, a yeah, uh, 100%. Uh, I, would, I would recommend it more to people in their early 20s. I would say go out there, have some fun, you know, get lost, and, um, yeah, just explore. You'll meet a lot of wonderful people along the way. Like, one of the, the most amazing things I find about uh, being a part of an expat community like I was in Seoul was now that I've come home, there's so many places I can travel to and I know people there and people that I got to know quite well. Like last year I, I drove from Winnipeg to see my parents in Arizona cause they, they lived down in Arizona. And while I was driving, I, I went to so many different places and saw friends that I'd known from Korea and stayed at their place and spent a couple nights together. And it was such a great trip and like and that's not limited just to north america like I, there's so many people in europe that i know that i want to go visit and people you know people in south africa australia and and then you know of course going back to korea seeing those people so it's it's nice to know that i can travel most places and there'll be somebody that i know like a familiar face so of course yeah i would recommend the expat experience in a, in a heartbeat it was uh something that'll 
be with me for life. Very uh, important part of my part of my life for sure. And uh, and especially to like show a growing community support. Like people were all trying to build their own little things out there, and they would support each other. Like people, we we everybody would go to everybody's shows. People would uh, you know lend a handy, uh, helping hand if you needed it. So there was a lot of people all working together to accomplish something. And those, you know, those are the things that kind of bond you like, like, you know, war vets, right? <laughs> you, you all, you all went through something together. Yeah. It's a bit like the, the, the Haguan wars of, uh, the mid two thousands, you know, well, and especially the bitching, I mean, <laughs> like, you know, everybody would bitch about their work non-stop and uh and you'd find so much common ground oh that's happening at your school too oh god oh it's happening to mine too and like you good for a top five uh guilty pleasure jeff someone you shouldn't like but you do uh, i'm gonna have to say blackpink uh k-pop k-pop group i uh i just i can't help it they have these catchy songs that i like and interesting dances and i i'm not i'm more of a metal fan and more like hard hard rock kind of guy i mean i like all genres of music but those are what i usually gravitate towards and i never thought i would really enjoy k-pop but there's definitely th them and a couple other little k-pop groups I, i'm just surprised i enjoy sure there's a joke or two in there who should we be listening to and why yeah. Jeff? comedy wise i would say one of my favorite comedians for a long time and uh, still the right now is probably Kyle Kinane. Uh, he's a comedian that, uh, he's a really great storyteller. You know, he's a, he's a wordsmith and every year he basically has a new hour of material. So he's always fresh. He just had an album come out, uh, about three months ago. And, uh, I, I absolutely loved it. And one of my really good friends can't stop talking about it. Uh, so definitely, yeah, Kyle Kinane would be on the list there for, for comedy at least. I don't know. That's what kind of comedy was I into? I'm into mostly yeah. storytellers, like stand-up, stand-up. I do like joke tellers, like, you know, set a punchline, but storytellers to me are always uh, a little bit more interesting because they, they can take, you know, the, the most boring subject and somehow weave it into this entertaining seven-minute piece. Right. It's the tangent uh, thing that really gets yeah. me as well, you know, when you just take you in this completely other different rabbit hole. And, and the word choice and the word play that's used sometimes, you know, it's, uh, it, you know, it's almost like music. Uh, so it's, it's, you can just listen to it over and over again and just love the rhythm of it. Uh, so yeah, I, I like more storytelling standups, uh, but yeah, there's, I mean, I'm also a sucker for setup and punchline guys too. So fart jokes, right? Who, who does it like, <laughs> Some, you know, some, there's a place, there's a place in time for most jokes. Exactly. Uh, who's, is there someone locally that we should know about? Well, I mean, Winnipeg band, there's a really good band called Royal Canoe. Yeah, they're a really great ensemble of about, I think, seven guys. Um, so I'd, I'd recommend them. They've got lots of videos on YouTube. They're kind of, a lot of people would call them like a, a, mu a musician's band, like because they're, they're all very talented musicians. They're kind of progressive and experimental at times. For stand-up comedians locally, well, there was a guy, Ryan Ash, that was living in Winnipeg, but he lives in Edmonton now. He's, he's really, really, really quite funny. Who else in Winnipeg? Uh, I mean, there's, there's quite a few guys in Winnipeg for sure. Um, Matt Nightingale, Tim Gray. There's a local sketch comedy group called Hunks that have some YouTube videos. Yeah, Ben Walker, Keener, Mike Green, Jordan Wellwood. Uh, yeah, 
does i could go on and on but <laughs> by that point i'd just be name dropping <laughs> so. tell, tell us someone who's overrated jeff this could be in the comedy world or the music world somebody who's overrated yeah, uh, someone you just don't get you just think really okay yeah who, who would i there's definitely there's definitely a few uh, well, I've never, I don't know. I've never really been into Russell Peters. I know a lot of people like Russell Peters. I got nothing against him. I, I mean, I do think he's, he's talented and funny. I just, I don't know. It doesn't, uh, I, I don't get super excited or anything if there's a new special or if it's on TV. You can take it or leave it kind of thing. Lucy K, uh, you know, prior to all of that stuff. Yeah. I, you know, I enjoyed, I, you know, actually Brian was a really big fan and he was one of the first people to kind of show me uh, some of Louis's videos. And yeah, I, I get it. Like I get why he's really popular, but I just, it wasn't what I draw a lot of enjoyment out of. And so I just never really, I thought, I, I thought he was kind of overrated, but I can definitely say he he had quite a bit of talent. Which would you go to Noribang song, Jeff? Yeah, I saw that. So, um, okay, this is a rare one that some of the Noribans might have because some of the Noribans do have updated catalogs. When they did have the updated catalog, uh, These Eyes by uh, The Guess Who was my go-to. Um, and The Guess Who is actually from Winnipeg. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, but, Amer- American woman? Yeah, they have American, yeah. But I would, I would do These Eyes, but a lot of the times they wouldn't have it. So King Creole by Elvis was oh. my, my second go-to. <laughs> it's just a nice little rockabilly kind of song. And, uh, two minutes and you're done? Yeah, two minutes you're done. And it has a really good peak at certain points where you're, I'm, uh, I can be a little bit loud on the mic. So it's, <laughs> it's perfect for me. Excellent. That's not a bad choice at all, man. And the last one then, how about a favorite venue, either somewhere you've played or a venue where you've seen someone perform? Uh, I would have to go, there's, there's three that come to mind that uh, all had their equal merit. Um, the Wagu Cook, like I mentioned, was a fabulous place to go and perform at in Gumi, but it's closed. Then there's the Tilt in Pohan, which is probably one of my favorite places in all of Korea. Roofers, Roofers, which closed, I thought was just such an amazing venue. Uh, you know, besides having that great rooftop, there was just so many good shows that were put on there and the owner was really great. So yeah, those would be my three, my top three picks. Is there a venue that sticks in your mind where you've performed and it's just been like the worst place on earth or you you can feel the, the ground opening up in front of you? Well, there, there is... There's one where I, I had a good set. It's not, it wasn't my performance that was off-putting. It was, um, it was the Army base in Gunsan, uh, mm-hmm. or actually Air Force Base in Gunsan. Yeah. And I got called last minute to open for this, uh, as she was described to me, an R&B sensation from the 1980s. Descendedly vague. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the promoter called, and I guess what happened was, uh, he was flying a professional comedian over from the States to open for her, but something happened and the guy couldn't get his visa. And so he called me up and was like, do you think you could come down? And I said, sure, no problem. And when I got there, he w- first he introduced me to this 1980s uh, R&B sensation. And she was such a diva, like an absolute diva. <laughs> and um, so she, she refused to go on unless she had a green room. And the guy was trying to explain to her, we don't, there's no green room <laughs> there's um, no room yeah. like if you know all there is is it's it's all in a big it's all in one big room and so we're going to stand at the back of the room and then we're going to call you on and she's like uh uh-uh. uh this R&B sensation from the 1980s does not go on stage unless i have a green room and so the the promoter goes well you know next to the stage there's a closet 
<laughs> and I, I mean, you can wait in there before the show, but the problem is when you close the door, the light goes out. So you're going to be in the dark. And she's like, I'll take it. And so he puts a chair in there. He just puts a chair in there. And that's the only thing in the closet is this chair. He, he, she sits down, he closes the door. So she's in the dark and I do my, I get up. So he goes to introduce me and he says, how do you want me to introduce you? And I was like, I just use my name. And he goes, okay, well, give me, give me your passport. I, you know, I remember visually. So he looks at my passport and my full name is Jeffrey Daniel Paul Sinclair. So he gets up on stage and he just starts lying to the audience. Ladies and gentlemen, you've seen him on Comedy Central. You've seen him on Deaf Comedy Jam. Put your hands together for Jeff Daniels. And so he introduces me as Jeff Daniels, <laughs> which is a famus actor uh, in North America. He's an arachnophobia, dumb and dumber. And so I get on stage. Yeah, yeah, it's me, Jeff Daniels. <laughs> and so I do, I do 30 minutes and I have, I have a good set. But then at the end of the 30 minutes, I suddenly remember that this R&B sensation, I'm not going to say her name, this R&B sensation from the 1980s has been sitting in this closet for 30 minutes in the dark. And I just start laughing on stage. And everybody's like, what? What are you laughing about? I'm like, I can't tell you, but it has something to do with the closet. <laughs> she gets introduced, like uh, the... The promoter, all right, you've been waiting for her, this R&B sensation from the 1980s, blah, blah, blah. And she comes out, and suddenly somebody yells out, she's been in the closet this whole time. <laughs> and and I, I don't know if you've ever been in dark for 30 minutes and then suddenly ha having to come out to spotlights, but she was just thrashing about on the stage, blind as a bat, couldn't see. And uh, I was just watching this whole thing go down. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm part of this. Surreal and then afterwards... Time. Yeah, afterwards, people came up to me and they were asking me for autographs because they thought I was Jeff Daniels, a famous comedian from the States. And so I, I was like, do I sign my real name or do I sign Jeff Daniels? And I signed Jeff Daniels all night. Fantastic. And, uh, so that was, yeah. So the soul sensation from the 1980s was she, uh, let's just say she was a rather demanding uh, person. She was quite demanding. And then... Uh, she, how did, she, how did she, go she was before, before the show. She's like, "Where's my mac and cheese? Mac and cheese is on my writer. Where's my mac and cheese?" <laughs> like, and then he brings her mac and cheese. He's like, "Where's my ketchup?" And she's just, <laughs> oh, it, was, it was so fun to watch. And she did her vocal warm ups at the table while eating mac and cheese. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, uh, yeah, she uh, she for years, I guess, she toured with the USO and. I, I don't, I'd never heard of her before in my life and I had to look her up and uh, I guess she had some hits in the early 80s, but like nothing too far reaching because it didn't come to Canada. So um, <laughs> she's an enigma wrapped in a mystery. The headshots that she was signing that night were like 25 years old. <laughs> oh, perfect. <You> know? <laughs> Jeff, uh, where where can we find you and some of your work on social media? I've got uh, some YouTube channels. I've got one that's called, it's Movies in a Minute, where I had edited down famous movies to one minute to kind of give you the gist of the movie in one minute. That's, I mean, it's old. I haven't updated it in a long time, but there's, there's like 30 some videos on there. And then I have uh, K-pop Lyric Shop, where... I basically translate K-pop lyrics as if the person was speaking English. So they're speaking Korean, but it's what it sounds like in English. It's called, it's actually, there's a term for it. It's called buffalaxing. Uh, so that's on YouTube. Otherwise, I don't know. I've been in a couple of people's podcasts. Uh, I don't really post a, much of my comedy material on there. I, I did that. You know, I used to do that as a policy just when I was looking for jobs, just not to have stuff that 
they could find, but uh, then I just never really got around to posting stuff. So, <laughs> so there's, yeah, there's those things you can check out. If anyone's uh, looking for a, a pub quiz master or a trivia night, man, I shall point them to your direction. You should, certainly should, yeah. Jeff, it's been a blast. Thanks very much, man. Yeah, it's been nice to get to know you. Cheers. Sure. Cheers. You can follow Can't Find My Way Home on anchor.fm. Simply search for Can't Find My Way Home. On Instagram at can't.findmywayhome. On Facebook at Expat Music Pod. Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And wherever you get your podcasts from, I'm pretty sure you'll find us there too. Until the next one, this is Craig saying cheers. Cheers.